Welcome to the Rennie Podcast, a podcast about the real estate market and the people connected by it. We seek to empower our listeners to make informed decisions while providing context for the real estate world around them. We hope that with every episode, you become a little more knowledgeable and a lot more curious. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Rennie Podcast. Today, we're going to focus on the following two questions. The first question what do we make of the unexpected inflation reading? And question number two, is Metro Vancouver's housing market really gaining momentum? My name is Justine Liu, a managing broker at Rennie. And as always, we're joined with Ryan Berlin, Rennie's Director of Intelligence, and Ryan Wise, Rennie's Senior Analyst with our Intel division. So thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Justine. Yeah. Yeah. How's everyone doing? Doing good. Super. Yeah, normally today we would have um, another advisor join us, but today it looks like it's just the three of us. Awesome. They're too busy. <laughs> Our advisors are too busy. There's so too much going on in the market. The market is gaining momentum. There. Question number two is covered. It's covered. <laughs> this yeah. will be a short podcast, yeah. Yeah, and also joining us in the room is our new producer, Melissa. Yay. Welcome, Yay. Melissa. Welcome. <laughs> awesome. Who just saw Taylor Swift in Nashville. <laughs> very, very exciting. <laughs> She's very excited. Yeah, okay. So let's get into our first theme. So Ryan Berlin, new inflation data was recently released by Statistics Canada, and it wasn't what we were hoping for. So what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, it wasn't what we were hoping for, and it wasn't what we were expecting. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the uh, new inflation data is out from uh, StatScan for April. It's not what we were thinking it would be, not what we were hoping it would be. So this is is, uh, economists get it wrong, take one. (laughs) So... Most of us who have been tracking inflation in Canada and the U.S. for that matter for the past, you know, a couple of years really when it started to ramp up and in Canada peaked uh, last summer over 8%, which was quite terrifying. Um, and then as it started to come down through the end of last year and into this year, we'd been tracking it and actually forecasting since, you know, Q3, Q4 of last year that uh, inflation would continue to abate here in Canada into the summertime and that's been happening um like in a fairly predictable way Mm -hmm. uh so in march the inflation rate in canada was 4.3 percent still too high bank of canada doesn't like that it Mm -hmm. wants the inflation rate between one and three percent so for them prices rising too high in march but the path was clear that it was down 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 and into that one to three percent range within a couple of months So the curveball was this data release for the month of April, which showed inflation at 4.4%. So it was was actually a marginal increase. And it's not so much when we look at that that uh, we're concerned that, oh, my God, inflation is accelerating because it's a small change. But it kind of gives us pause because we were expecting it to kind of be in that range of we were expecting a a small decline. Mm -hmm. So in the range of sort of 4 to 4.3% last month, and it's Mm -hmm. at 4.4%. So we don't need to sound the alarm bells at this point, but I think that um, the Bank of Canada is watching this and going, hmm, we know that's not what they expected because their forecast was for inflation to get to 3% within the next couple of months. And we still very well may get there for sure. But it just is a bit of a reminder that, right, we haven't totally tackled this beast that is inflation. And I think I've been using this analogy and I don't know if it's appropriate for this podcast or not, but I'm, 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 I'm like going to use analogy, it. Bring it on. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so I, I feel like that, you know, that feeling that you might have if you were sleeping naked and uh, someone broke into your house in the middle of the night, that feeling of vulnerability, like, Oh my God, what do I do now? Uh, feeling like you don't have a lot of options. I feel like that's how the bank of Canada f- is feeling looking at this 
sort of looking at the, the most recent inflation data and the fact that it ticked up because the only tool they have really to do anything with as it, as it relates to inflation is, is this overnight interest rate, this policy interest rate that they set every month, more or less. So I think they're looking at that and going, there's a risk here that inflation gets stuck a little bit higher than we intended. And so do we need to wield a bigger stick at our next meeting? Next meeting's on June 7th, I think. And so whereas we all looked at that meeting as one where they would just hold rates firm, I think this new data release definitely opens the door to them considering a small increase Mm -hmm. of maybe 25 basis points, although I still don't think it's very likely. I don't think either of us think it's very likely. There will be discussion around it, I think. So I think when the governors get together and they're talking about it, a rate increase will definitely be discussed, but ultimately I still think they're going to hold. Yeah, I, I agree. I still think they'll hold as well. But I think what this does now, this reading for inflation really turns the spotlight onto the labor market because the labor market, we've talked about it a lot on this podcast, mm-hmm. has been functioning very, very well, which for most of us is a very good thing. So mm-hmm. if you want to work, you've got a job or you can find a job. Wages have been increasing at a, at a pretty decent clip uh, recently compared to history. So if you're a worker, if somebody is paying your wages, it's a nice environment to operate in. But the weird thing about the labor market is it hasn't really responded to this higher interest rate environment. And and definitely the Bank of Canada had been thinking that as we raise rates, they raised them eight times over 10 months, that that would soften the labor market. It would reduce job vacancies. It would reduce hiring, mm-hmm. uh, that we might actually see some layoffs. And we've seen layoffs in various sectors, but um, every month, the uh, the the total number of jobs in this country has been growing. In the realm of uh, economists get it wrong, take two. Um, <laughs> when we look at the most recent jobs data, economists had been expecting about 20,000 net additional jobs in Canada most recently on a month-over-month basis. And the reading was, was double that, 40,000 additional jobs. So you know, look at the sectors it's in. It's in trade, uh, so retail. It's in transportation, warehousing. It suggests that consumer spending is actually still fairly robust mm-hmm. despite these higher rates. This is a bit perplexing, I'll be honest with you. Like I don't think any of us here really have figured out how that's the case or the extent to which that will persist. I think our feeling now is, as we, as we look ahead, that the labor market will start to soften with these high, higher interest rates. I'll just further define that. When I say the labor market softening, I mean the unemployment rate will rise from its current historical low, mm-hmm. that we'll see fewer job vacancies, we'll see the number of unemployed people increase at the margin, and that should reduce some of the wage pressure and some of the spending throughput that we see uh, that comes from higher wages, and that should then overall slow inflation. I guess the caveat on that, I don't know if you have anything to say after this, Rye, but it is just that if we don't see that, then I actually think we should start contemplating what it's like to see one or two more interest rate hikes. Yeah. So, and I think there's a few, like a few other things we should sort of add to that inflation discussion. Like one is uh, at 4.4% year over year, it's not that different than what most people were projecting at 4.1 or mm-hmm. 4.0, for 2 um, but directionally it's going mm-hmm. the, the wrong way. And so it, it gives cause for concern. The other thing is we've been plotting out sort of the math on this for the better part of a year and where it's going. And this sort of outlier result, like it's just one month, but it really changes the math on that. So if you push out 
all of our projections, getting back down to 2% actually gets a lot harder with this one, you know, substantial increase. We expected uh, a larger decline in March and May and a smaller decline in April, just in large part because of what was happening last year. Mm -hmm. So we got that large decline in March, but then an increase in April kind of throws the Mm -hmm. math off quite a bit. And so I think, and the Bank of Canada is, is really paying attention to this, that They've been talking a lot about the path from 3% to 2%. Well, we're not at 3% yet, but we thought we were getting pretty close. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that path back to 2%, which, again, they've staked their reputation on this, it gets a lot harder uh, with these increases. And now, you know, on the flip side is it it's a lot of the volatile metrics really driving it. So energy, gasoline were, were the biggest contributors uh, last month. And, you know, an OPEC production cut, a tax increase, like... We've already seen gas prices in May start to come down and oil prices start mm-hmm. to come down at a halfway through May. So some of that can come back and that, those volatile measures, they're, they're naturally going to bounce around a lot. Um, but it's still that that getting back to, to three and then to two percent, it gets a lot trickier now after just one sort of outlier month. It totally does. And the, the other thing that complicates all of the math with inflation is <laughs> the fact that the, and I mean, Ryan, we'll talk about this in a bit more detail in a moment, <laughs> the fact that our housing market more so in Metro Vancouver, perhaps, than, than in the country as a whole. But housing markets in generally in North America have started to really bounce back. <laughs> and so it almost feels a bit premature when you look at where values are going. Um, not to steal your thunder, Rye. But I, <laughs> just one data point just to help me make my point here is that you know we've had four consecutive months in Metro Vancouver of uh, benchmark condo prices increasing, which is really... Uh, a, a curious sort of feature of the market in some ways because interest rates are still high. I mean, mm-hmm. five-year fixed mortgage rates have come down a little bit into like the lower fours. So, you know, they're a bit more palatable. They're still really, really high in the recent historical context. Um, there's not a lot out there. The labor market continues to be tight, but not a lot has changed there. So um, what it reflects really is it's just like not a lot of activity, but regardless, uh, like not a lot of supply, not as much, uh, not as many transactions happening as a result. And regardless, though, it is feeding now back into that inflation calculation. So yeah. these higher rates combined with rising home prices is actually feeding back into inflation. Yeah. So there's almost an irony, there's an irony there that yeah. higher interest rates and higher mortgage costs are are now fueling that to some extent, that inflation calculation, but it's what we're seeing. Yeah, and uh, we talked about in the running landscape, but the number one contributor to inflation, or the, the CPI, the largest component of the basket of goods and services is shelter. The largest component of shelter is owned accommodation, mortgage interest cost, and home replacement costs. So rising prices and rising interest rates are two of the biggest contributors overall to the inflation calculation. Um, and it, it does come back to that labor market. Like we've talked about it quite a bit that a tight labor market has really kept supply in check and supply keeping in check is really what has had upward pressure on prices. So uh, I, it's kind of perverse that a lot of people want to see the unemployment rate increase. And I, you know, we don't feel that way. It's these are yeah. human beings. This is people's livelihoods. Um, but that is definitely a big factor in this right now. I guess maybe just a final thought on all of this is that we are very much back into this cadence now of every new data release each month as it relates to job vacancies or you know unemployment or the number of jobs that are out there, wages, um, inflation, 
we are on a month to, we're operating on a month to month basis right now in terms of understanding what the longer term path is for both inflation and also interest rates. There's nothing predetermined now. It's very, very difficult to say with certainty or with any amount of real certainty that, you know, at the end of 2023, the, you know, the inflation will be X, the bank's policy rate will be Y, and the five-year fixed mortgage rate will be Z. Mm -hmm. Because um, all of those things are kind of predicated on the, the data that are revealed to us each month. So um, I, I think, you know, maybe in the next month, because we're expecting a bigger drop in inflation this coming month, a bigger drop than we were expecting, as you said, right, than we were expecting this previous month. And we actually, we, we actually registered an increase. Um, I think that's that whatever inflation looks like after next month is going to go a, a long way to shedding light on what the path is for the rest of the year. So it's going to be a it's going to be an interesting you know month month and a half for sure. Okay, so just out of curiosity, is there typically, I guess historically, is there a theme in terms of what the inflation rate is during specific seasons? Does it change much, or are we just seeing something completely abnormal? Yeah, I mean that's a good question to ask. I mean, typically, yeah, inflation is not very seasonal, um, and in our lifetime, we call it the last like you know twenty years or so or more. Um, inflation's been very stable and very low. Like in any given month, the reading might be between one and a half and two and a half percent. I mean, mm -hmm. it's never caused much of a stir. We certainly were not, you know, waiting with bated breath for each month's mm -hmm. inflation data release. But, you know, we kind of had, like we've gone through, if there's, I don't know if there's an analogy here that it, there was an earthquake, that earthquake with, was COVID, right? Initially, yeah. or at least our response to the pandemic. And I mean, initially it created a deflationary environment, and for all kinds of reasons that we've talked about in the past, we then saw inflation accelerate. And now we're dealing with the aftershocks of that. We don't know how many of them there will be or how long they'll persist, but we're we're not back to this, this state where we're not feeling the ground shake uh, quite yet. So it, it's going to be some time before we're back there. But I mean, however you define sort of the medium to long term, we will get back to a place where inflation settles into that sort of two to three percent range i'm quite confident but it's just a matter of of when yeah you know there's one other curveball we can get in the next month which is uh usually about every year stats can recalibrates their basket of goods that mm. uh that inflation is based on and they're doing it again next month so our next release will be on a completely recalculated data series um, and so they, they put in more things that people consume more of and they take out things that people are consuming less of to, to try to be as representative as possible about what people are consuming. Um, but every time they recalibrate it, they go back in time as well and they run a new series on it. But that means that we can see another weird change next month just from a new basket. Um, and if it's more things that people are spending more on, it could mean a, a higher inflation number for sure. Mm, very interesting. Okay, so let's move on to the second theme. So I'm going to roll this over to you, Ryan Wise. So tell me um, about the housing market and what you're seeing. As it, it seems like there's a lot of bubbling beneath the surface at the moment. I would say that it's sort of picking up the pace, like a, like a train getting going. It was really slow for a long time, and it's slowly picking up steam. Uh, and, we're, and what we saw in April was sort of a continuation of March and maybe with a bit more of a pace to it. So uh, if we get into some of the numbers, like sales counts were up in April relative to March, which is 
uh, not the typical seasonal pattern. March is usually the busiest month of the year. The start of spring for us is when we see the most sales. So in April, we were about 4,200 sales and about 4,000 in March. Um, and so that increase from March to April is, again, it's not the seasonal pattern, um, but there's sort of more going on in terms of buyers back out there. Um, and so April sales were above March, but they still weren't back to that long run average, that sort of typical April level. Um, so we're not back to as busy a market as you could necessarily expect to see in the springtime, but we're seeing is each month now for four consecutive months is a bit more activity, more sales counts, um, but not really much more listings. So again, inventory usually really expands in the spring and those first sort of five months of the year is where we really see that big expansion. And inventory, I think we said last month that it was like March never happened for listings. It didn't really expand at all. And it barely increased again in April. So for the Vancouver region, so for both board areas, there was less than just under 12,000 listings at the end of the month of April. Um, so that's much less than last year, 29% less than that 10 year average. Um, or to put it in context, like a typical April is around just under 17,000 and now we're just under 12,000. So there's about 5,000 fewer homes available for sale right now than you would normally see. Um, so mm -hmm. it's incredibly tight on the supply side um, and we see more and more buyers out there and um, you know, not a surprise then that we see those that those price increases happening. There's there's a lot more people fighting over the same number of homes essentially for sale, um, and things are selling a lot quicker right now too. So we were looking at uh, the median days on market. So how long sort of the average home takes to sell? Uh, and again, for both board areas for April, it was about 11 days. So anything under two weeks is considered quite quick. Um, that's faster than March, faster than that long run average of about 18 days. So 11 days, that's really, really fast. And I think it speaks to the fact that there is not a lot of supply. There's not a lot of product available. And there are more and more buyers out there sort of competing over them. Yeah, just to that point, um, Brian, about the inventory level, I was just speaking to one of our advisors and he was telling me that he was running an offer for his client on a attached property, uh, downtown Vancouver, with um, he was competing against uh, 28 other offers. <sighs> So wow. you just think about that, you know, you didn't get it, but in the end, that's, there's that many people that are, are looking. And 27 and that didn't get it. Exactly. Another 27 that's back to the marketplace right now mm -hmm. looking for a product. Yeah. We're hearing lots of those stories of multiple offers um, and a lot more selling over asking price again. Definitely yes. a lot more competition out there among buyers. Definitely. And, and also just to, we'll bring it back to the for sale market, but we're seeing it in rental too, because... I've heard of um, a situation with a rental unit that was being uh, the, the existing tenant was moving out, and the tenant was paying under market rent. So the asking rent then in the advertisement went up by twenty five percent from what it was, and there were thirty five uh, requests for viewings within two days. And yeah. so you know, it's one of those things that just it speaks to like housing of all types, like. You know, mm -hmm. to to own to rent is just is is scarce right now. Yeah. Well, um, we I mean we talked about massive population growth last time. I mean that's certainly a big factor here. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Seeing the same type of things happening with the the detached homes versus the attached you know strata properties, multiple offers going through, a lot of interest, not enough inventory. Yeah, well that's that's a good point. If we look at market conditions, so months of inventory calculation. Mm -hmm. Uh, we look at both board areas, all home types. Uh, everything is a seller's market right now. So 
for condos, for townhomes, for detached homes in the border of Vancouver, in the Valley, it's all considered pretty deep seller's market territory. So overall, we're at about 2.8 months of inventory for the region, which is incredibly tight. Again, anything uh, below five is considered a seller's market. Um, and so, you know, not surprisingly, prices are going up. Right, talked yeah. about it earlier. Um, and again, it's the same thing. It's all product types across both boards. That we're seeing sort of broad-based month-to-month price increases. Uh, and it's because people who want all types of homes are sort of competing for that good product. Exactly. But also I'm curious because I've asked uh, our advisors who, like given where prices are and give, like they're not that far off from peak for, you know, maybe not so much for detached, but they're not that far off from peak for townhomes, for condos. And you look at where rates are, it's very expensive to buy a home right now. Everything's kind of working against you. And so like we're seeing this increase in activity. May, we're on pace for more than 5,000 sales. Yeah. And like, so who are these buyers? Is it people who aren't interest rate sensitive, who have money? We know that two out of five homeowners in this region are mortgage free. Is it really them that's driving this market? It didn't sound like it at all. So it's interesting. Maybe that mortgage free segment that is helping to fund some of the purchases, like you know, via the, mm-hmm. the, the so-called bank of mom and dad. But um, it's, 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 it is, it's interesting. And I wonder, yeah, I wonder how long the, this current sort of surge of demand, some of it was pent up because we had nine straight months of sub 3000 yeah. s- uh, sales in, in the region, but um, yeah, how long it can sustain itself within a, in the context of a, against the backdrop of rising prices. Well, and some of those, some of that pent up demand, some of those buyers were definitely waiting for more certainty on interest rates. They can handle yeah. higher yeah. rates, but they wanted to know they weren't going to continue increasing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. they felt like they got it the last few months. But again, we got another curveball this week with an increase in inflation. There's chatter out there that maybe the Bank of Canada has to raise again. I wonder if some people start to pull back and think uh, this uncertainty, plus these rising prices, plus these high rates, all of this lack of affordability. Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, the narrative out there the past few months has been that, um, yeah, the market is slow, right? And things haven't been picking up and, you know, inflation is is up and interest rates are up. And so it also leads me to wonder, you know, the mindset of the buyer right now, what's going through their heads and also the quality of offers that's coming through at the same time. So how are you preparing your clients and that expectation of, know what's actually happening and also what type of actual offers are coming through mm-hmm. are they actually competitive offers so you may have 28 but at the same time mm-hmm. are they good offers mm-hmm. um yeah and who's actually the one winning how much are they going over by and uh, what what does that look like so it's just uh yeah it's very interesting it is it does seem like the same issue of like there's sort of two types of inventory right now there's stuff that's been on the market available for purchase for some time mm-hmm. maybe hasn't gotten bites for the price or the quality of the home or whatever it is, its degree of habitability. Um, but it does seem like your days of market ride metric speaks to it, that when there's any kind of new inventory, and I have so many buyers circling, that as soon as something new appears, um, people are pouncing. And I think that's what's leading to that real short time period between listing and accepted offer, 
Yeah, I think if you look at the profile of somebody who's written one or two, however many offers already and lost out, you know they're, they've got their financing in order, mm-hmm. they're ready to go, they've already made an offer. And so when that next place comes up, you know, there's no yeah. hesitation if it's, if it's something they want, they're ready to go. And a part of me also makes me wonder how much of this has, you know, what the effect of the home buyer rescission period has to do with this. And if people are just are writing it, also hoping to get it and knowing that possibly they might have a three-day window to, to walk away if they really yeah, wanted to. There's still to. that financial penalty of backing out yeah. though, right? Yeah. There yeah. is, but some for some people, it's it's worth it for them. I've I've had a couple conversations with advisors who've said that uh, most of their offers are still with subjects. Yeah. So, it, which it, I it, think is a good thing. Yeah, and it does come to the next realm of the way that way offers are being presented now because there is that three day mm-hmm. period, and I mean, why not do your due diligence if you can't if you can't right? Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. So Ryan Wise, how much new inventory do you think is coming into the market? Um, not very much. So we were looking at this on a year-to-date basis. Like how many new listings have come to market this year and how does that compare since 2005? So almost 20 years. Um, so 2023 through the first four months of the year is the second lowest in that time period. And there should be a huge asterisk next to the lowest because that was 2020. And, you know, March and April were effectively shut down for that time. And then we, we tracked the full years out and it kind of finished middle of the pack for new listings. But there was this weird sort of no new listings in April that year. Mm-hmm. So that's weird. So throw that one out for a sec. The next lowest is this year. So the fewest new listings in the last 20 years, essentially, for the first four months of the year is this year. And then the two highest were 2021 and 2022 so the last two years so not only are we like basically a record low but it's the complete polar opposite of the last couple of years and so last year is a good example we started the year off at a record low inventory but a ton of new listings came to market so the market kept churning quite a bit and Mm -hmm. by april there was far more inventory on the market than there is today so we're about halfway through may now and we are seeing an uptick both in sales and new listings so sales were on pace to do probably just over five thousand, which is pretty close to that that long run average so we're kind of just getting back to a typical may which again would be much more than april much more than march as this market continues to sort of gain momentum but we're also seeing far more new listings come to market so far in may than in April or March. And so we're, we're actually tracking a lot closer to last May. Now on pace for almost 9,000, where we just did a little over 6,000 yeah. listings last month. So a pretty big increase. And so it seems like some of this momentum is kind of carrying through into May. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like some some people are maybe responding to the, the price dynamic that we've been seeing and mm-hmm. specifically that prices have been coming back up. And I think definitely when you look at all of these, all of the data, all of these things we talked about, you look at sales increasing, you look at inventory starting to actually make a move upwards now. You look at where the labor market is, i.e. still very strong, but I think probably poised for a little bit of softening as we talked about. Mm-hmm. And when that happens at the margin, I don't think there's going to be anything catastrophic going on, but at the margin, when the unemployment rate rises, we tend to see inventory rise because... You know, when you're not earning an income, as we've said before, very hard to make your monthly mortgage obligations. And so you try, you see people trying to get out from underneath their mortgages, and they're not as price sensitive necessarily as others who don't need to list but are, you know, looking to capitalize on the, the, the current price environment. So I think if you look at some of those, I don't know if you want to call them headwinds for the market, but some of the dynamics in play, if you are somebody who is 
looking to list in the near term, one, three, six months, mm-hmm. and maybe you've been holding off because prices did peak last spring and have been quite quite a bit lower uh, for the past little while until recently. This is probably a very good time to list. And I'm not saying this as a salesperson. I'm not a realtor. <laughs> uh, I'm just looking at it. If this were me in this market right now, I yeah. would want to list sooner than later to sort of capitalize on some of the favorable dynamics that are known because we just don't know what the market will look like in three months and six months, right? Yeah. I think, again, you you sort of fast forward to the medium term, however that's defined, call it middle of next year, end of next year, I think there's going to be a lot more stability in this market, but the path that we take to get there is, is very uncertain. Mm-hmm. Okay, so typically during this session of um, of the podcast, we have an advisor here and we ask them for their final takeaways and thoughts. But it seems like, Ryan, that was your your final takeaway and thought was to not wait and to list now. That's my, that's my, <laughs> I was going to say my unprofessional advice. That is my advice as a non-realtor. <laughs> awesome. And tell about yourself, Ryan. Uh, yeah, well, I'd say um, we're always watching the data. I encourage anyone who's interested in this stuff to always watch the data. We're we're always publishing commentary on our housing market, our economy. You can find it all on rainy.com slash intelligence. We have many many different publications each month that come out and uh, we'll be watching all the data releases closely. Okay, that's great. So on today's podcast, we talked through a few different topics and shared some thoughts on number one, what do we make of the unexpected inflation reading? And number two, is Metro Vancouver's housing market really gaining momentum? So this wraps up this episode of the podcast. To dig deeper into the data, be sure to check out the latest Rennie review and other intelligence information on rennie.com slash intelligence, as Ryan mentioned, and be the first to receive this information straight to your inbox. Register for intelligence updates. Thank you so much, Ryan and Ryan, for your time today and sharing your insights. Really appreciate it. And until our next recording next month. Awesome. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Justine. All right. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. The Rennie Podcast is a Rennie production and is recorded on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, all resources mentioned in the episode can be found on rennie.com. Rennie.com.